Ashby. It's, um, it's a great pleasure to be here to, this evening with you all. I very, very rarely get to um, hear uh, members of the Sangha giving talks and um, tonight Lizzie Finn is going to talk and her talk was actually scheduled for earlier in the year but had to be postponed and I was sorry I was going to miss it but fortunately um, I'm able to be here now for a drop in the ocean, which is going to explore, um, you know, what we can do to look after, to offer care to all beings. And um, I think this is a question that many of us uh, may be asking ourselves at this time. So I'm very happy to be here and to be able to introduce Lizzie to give this talk. And I'll hand over to you now, Lizzie. Mute myself. Yes. Okay. Well, when I first started announcing community wildlife corridor hand weeding events last year at the end of our Zen group sits, to tell you the truth, I felt a little silly. I thought an invitation to hand weed on a relatively small area of land might be considered a little bizarre as an environmental action project for the Zen group, given the huge damage to the global environment and its inhabitants with associated climate change. What difference is that going to make was the question I reckon people might be asking in their heads. And this question is the question underpinning this talk. It came about when I was speaking to our teacher, Ross Bolliter, and said that the voluntary work I did on the land was just a drop in the ocean. And he immediately responded that he wanted me to give a talk on just that. So beware of what you say to Ross when you're speaking to him. <laughs> well, like me, everyone here is likely to have experienced and be experiencing an ongoing sense of grief and distress and worry and powerlessness in the face of endless news about practices such as widespread destruction of rainforest and land clearing, which leave native animals homeless and very possibly facing extinction. And the recent fires in the eastern states, which devastated the bush and its inhabitants, was a grim reminder of the effects of climate change. Associated climate warming now urgently threatens the biodiversity which sustains all life on our planet, with a recent global assessment report concluding that 25% of plant and animal species are threatened with extinction as the result of human activity. And these facts are both alarming and overwhelming in the sense of asking the question, what can we do about it? What can I do about it? Every Zen sit night we sing the great vow, the many beings are numberless, I vow to save them. But how on earth do you do that when everything seems to be falling apart? 
as you would be aware, a drop in the ocean means a very small amount or a drop compared to the amount needed. And the ocean and a drop of water are also metaphors used in Zen teaching as a way of referring to the great mystery which we explore in our practice. One example, which is directly relevant to the theme of this talk, comes from Zen Abbot Taiyun at the Zen Kanshoji Buddhist Monastery in France. He says, when a drop of water enters the ocean, it becomes the ocean. The drop enters the ocean and the ocean enters the drop. There is no more separation. And this expression describes a process which I now realize has been happening to me steadily and slowly over the past five years, both through continued Zen practice and also as I've become increasingly involved in environmental protection work. I felt it could be helpful to outline the story of my increasing involvement in action work as a way of answering the question, what difference does a drop of water in the ocean make? So I trust you will bear with me in using it as an example. I realized I felt largely separate from the environment and the climate change crisis threatening our planet, virtually right up until 2016. Whereas many people like the Buddhist activist and teacher Joanna Messi spoke about the crisis and the urgent need to take action in the 1990s. For many years, I'd always loved nature, I loved trees, birds, animals, and country, but I never got to the point of deciding that it was time to stand up and make time to do something to help protect the earth and its inhabitants. I just listened with an increasingly sinking heart and stomach to ongoing news reports about events such as dolphins and whales trapped in unclaimed fishing nets poisoned rivers, and polar bears floating perilously on small chunks of ice which had melted and cracked off glaciers, their former habitat. Before 2016, I believe I kept the deep sadness and increasing dread about what was happening in a well-sealed compartment beneath my belt. I was working hard and long hours in my job, money was coming in, the shops always had plenty of food. I took care of my home, attended Zen practice events, and enjoyed seeing friends. I really didn't feel I had much time to do anything else. And these were my so-called normal priorities, and I was meeting their demands. Joanna Macy describes something similar to this in a talk. She speaks about herself experiencing a form of paralysis underpinned by disbelief about what is happening. Although a lot of her life is taken up with the environmental movement, she often found it difficult to grasp the reality of the dangers facing us and all of the planet's inhabitants. She says, and I quote here, the toxins in the air, food and water are hard to taste or smell. The spreading acreage of clear cuts and landfills are mostly screened from public view. 
the depletion of aquifers and the destruction of the protective ozone layer, ozone layer are matters of concern, but, but are abstract. The things that disappear, the frogs or topsoil or birdsong, are not as likely to catch my attention as what remains for me to perceive. And the more perceptible changes like clogged rivers, rubbish choking the sea, or trees dying on the roadsides in increasing numbers seem to become a normal part of life. And so we tend to live our lives as if nothing has changed while knowing that everything has changed, she said. Macy went on to describe this as leading a double life where on the one hand we maintain a more or less upbeat capacity to carry on as usual, while on another level there's an, an, an unformed awareness in the background that the world we and all other sentient beings depend on is being extensively damaged. I'd like to say I had a sudden awakening and realized I needed to take care of the earth and its interdependent inhabitants, including Lizzie, but that isn't the case. Even though I was and am still living with the bush just 50 meters from my garden gate, and I enjoy this rare gift, I took it somewhat for granted. I knew it was zoned for a row eight freeway, but that prospect seemed to be hazily distant. No, it was the earth and its inhabitants which stepped forward one day in December 2016 and shouted at me to wake up. On that day, state liberal government funded bulldozers arrived on the bush in front of my gate and systematically began to raise it to the ground to make way for the freeway. Birds were screeching as giant and beautiful trees came crashing down. I saw young birds from nests in those trees walking around in a daze or dead on the ground. A huge crowd of protesters had arrived and along with them droves of police and security guards to keep the protesters off the land. That is the day that I began to wake up to action albeit then with the ulterior motive of saving bush right in front of my home. There were several other of our Zen group members also attending protest actions over many days, sometimes going right into those sacred and magical wetlands. Unfortunately, the Liberal government was voted out in early in 2017 and the newly elected Labour government, in response to that effective community protest, took row eight off the transport map, for the present moment at least. After Labour was voted back in, I could very well have returned to my normal routine. But an inner voice which came from the unknown wouldn't let me do that. My priorities started to change. The land bulldozed to the ground now stark and empty, was renamed the Community Wildlife Corridor, which recognized its important role as one of the few remaining urban ecological corridors, allowing connection, in this case, from the Fremantle Sea to the wetlands of Bivra Lake, and including pockets of land. 
As such, the corridor's presence promoted the genetic diversity, health, and resilience of urban native fauna and flora. And a community wildlife corridor committee was established not long afterwards to help rehabilitate the land. And something drove me to attend their AGM later that year. I put my name down on an emailing list. And not long afterwards, I decided to join their bush care group, volunteer group, which met once a fortnight and still does. We're a motley group of weeders in floppy hats who meet early in the morning on a weekend and work away for a couple of hours with our hands and sacks to pull out weeds which have arrived in the bushland due to the clearing work. These weeds would ultimately prevent plants, bushes and trees, native plants, bushes and trees from growing. As well as a love for the land, this activity is very much one of community, of Sangha, both human Sangha and very much the wider Sangha, which we are no less. It is intimacy itself. We're all Sangha out here, the Sangha of the bush, trees, insects, birds, and humans being and working together. And we only managed to weed a small area each time, but slowly over the years, we've made headway in keeping the weeds down and allowing the bush to flourish as it would have if left untouched. I usually offer a NAS work with the team and that's fine, that's all I can manage. I've always loved the bush, but now I really love it. I, I feel such tenderness towards its resilience. It's still standing there, bearing witness, still growing, despite our efforts to destroy it. Now eucalypts are well above shoulder height and new plants and bushes of all kinds have re-emerged. And I've encountered many rewards in doing this work, not least listening to the descriptions and stories of the retired botanist who leads the bush care effort. Her name is Diana Corbin. She always spends some time on weeding days telling us about the idiosyncrasies of bush plants and trees, such as the palm-like microsamia, which dates back to prehistoric times and is used as a food source by Noongar Aboriginal people. And the generous giants, the tuat trees, growing up to 40 meters high, which are now critically endangered. Noongar people considered these trees as relatives and honored their role in providing homes for many birds and small mammals living under their canopies. And I'm also beginning to see these trees now as relatives. When I sit at home in meditation practice, looking through glass sliding doors of my home into my garden, there's a huge tuit tree in the background stretching way into the sky in front of me. And it has proved a wonderful teacher of the way. I identify with Joanna Macy when she describes involvement in action work for the environment as being a kind of coming alive. She believes that when we honor and acknowledge the growing grief, anger, and fear we experience about environmental destruction and climate change. We're freed from paralysis and can start to engage in action work. It's work that reconnects us to our source and reconnects us in working with other people to care for the land. 
and this has been my journey. I find myself fascinated by what I'm learning and my intimacy with the bush is deepening. And in the last couple of years, I've slowly been drawn into more action work. I joined the Buddhist for the Environment group started by our Zen group member, Trish McAuliffe, which is working towards bringing teachers in Perth across different Buddhist sects together to discuss what they can do to support the environment and prevent climate change. And our teachers, Ross and Mary, are also bringing the environment directly into their teaching at practice events. Two years ago, Ross held the two-day workshop, Buja Wanga Kinini, or Country Talking, the Dharma of Ecological Engagement. And several Zen group members spoke at this workshop, including myself. And last year, an approach was made to our Zen group of WA Council after brainstorming with group members, Brisha and Trish. And we proposed that, that uh, Zen group members be offered opportunities to engage in land care, which also will include planting trees. And the council fully backed this proposal. Since then, several, um, people from the Zen group have joined action activities on the community wildlife corridor. And those activities change according to the season from hand weeding to seed collection, uh, tree mapping and planting trees. And this year I decided to go on to the community wildlife corridor committee, putting aside habitual worries about overloading my time. I find myself on a steep learning curve again, a learning, cur learning curve again, working with a group of smart and seasoned campaigners. I was a journalist at one time and I've turned my writing skills to task again. I'm working on a new column for their newsletter called Corridor Neighbours in a bid to make the lives and roles of the corridor fauna and flora more intimately alive and vivid to people. It's much harder to bulldoze trees and clear away bush habitat when this is the case. The first neighbor off the rank for the next newsletter is the quenda, the smallish marsupial, which can be mistaken for a rat except for its elongated box-like nose and hair on its tail. The quenda is known as the ecosystem engineer of urban and country bushland using its elongated snout and long foreclaws, one quenda can displace around 11 kilograms of soil a day in its hunt for favorite foods, including truffle buried underground. And in doing so, they bring about several important ecological processes encouraging plant growth, such as bringing a mixture of organic matter into the soil and enabling water to infiltrate. The mighty digger, the quenda, offers a fine example of dependent origination. And I'm also planning an article later on this year for the Fremantle Herod, Herald to raise awareness of just how a freeway would impact on the lives of the inhabitants of this important ecological corridor. So that's the story of what happened to me. And I want now to return to the theme of this talk, I've been describing action work that can be considered a drop in the ocean or several drops in the ocean. 
compared to what is needed to protect the environment and deter climate change. You may, however, have seen how that work has slowly spread right across and into my life and appreciated the several rewards it has offered. The main one being to become more intimate with who I am. I'm becoming more alive as this work wakes up my heart and I encounter at closer quarters fauna and flora like the quenda, the tuit trees and the prehistoric microsomia. I both learn and I get a real buzz out of writing about them. And there are other members of this Zen group who are also engaged in drops in the ocean. Trish, a long time and seasoned anti-fracking campaigner, started the Buddhist for the Environment group. And Gerard Mazza is a founder member of Extinction Rebellion or XR Contemplative Rebels in WA, which started last year. I asked them both about the work they're doing. And Trish believes her engagement in action was founded on growing up with an aunt who worked tirelessly to protect animals and also her great love as a child for climbing and resting in the arms of trees. She finds herself sometimes weeping now when she hears ongoing news about the suffering of animals and widespread deforestation and sees her action workers offering her support. She commented, and I quote here, I found that in working with fellow earth carers, they become like family and provide me with direction and support to keep going. We might not meet often, but the connection through our values become heart connect connections. And this along with Earth's natural energy allows me to keep going. However imperfect or small our actions might seem in the face of such enormity, acting together we can make positive change. And Gerard says he enjoys the opportunity to bring together activism and Buddhist practice. He sees activism as a spiritual path and being part of XR Contemplative Rebels re realizes this for him. He says, it's easy to imagine my actions are pointless. However, if real change is to come, it will not be the result of any one deciding factor, but of an accumulation of many moments, conversations and actions, big and small. In a bid to encourage people to engage environmental activism, Zen master and ecologist David Loy, who teaches in the Sanbo tradition of Japanese Zen Buddhism, says that the don't know mind that Zen practice cultivates helps us to do the very best we can to protect the environment right where we are, without knowing if anything we do makes any difference whatsoever. He says, and I quote, we act without attachment. We don't know if what we do is important, but we know that it's important for us to do it. And Joanna Macy emphasizes that you don't need to do everything. Do what calls your heart. It's like walking on the razor's edge of the sacred moment where you don't know and you can't comfort yourself with any sure outcome. All you can know is your allegiance to life and your intention to serve it 
in this moment that we are given. And in that sense, this radical uncertainty liberates your creativity and courage. And this is where I find myself today. I no longer feel a bit silly when making announcements about hand weaving to the Zen group. I'm doing what needs to be done right where I am right now. And in Perth itself, there are numerous groups all over the metropolitan area similarly called to action to protect the environment. Drops in the ocean have helped to ease my heart. Even if the worst case scenario happens, I've been presented with opportunities to honor and love and show great care to the fauna and flora living close to me. And who knows how the caring energy put out by me and many others can change the balance of destructive energies on our earth. This love may even help to prevent our precious ecology from tipping right over. The great care expended on the community wildlife corridor started by a small group of dedicated campaigners has led this year to a significant positive developments for this land. A bill to protect it into the future has been passed in the state government legislative assembly, but it's being blocked in the legislative council by liberal and independent senators. However, the land on the corridor extending into the magic of the wetlands has just recently been given class A conservation status, which means it's now protected for the future. All of this prompted by a small initial group of people who put their hands and hearts and minds to the task of conserving this important natural land link. Plans are now also afoot to, do, to build educational walking trails along the corridor for all and particularly uh, school children to enjoy. And I'll close now with a final statement by Shodo Harada Roshi, the head abbot of Sogenji, a 300-year-old Zen temple in Japan. His teaching aligns completely with the theme running through this talk when he says, as the raindrops fall from the sky, one after the next, they land on the leaves or trunk of the tree or the stone wall. And only when all these drops come together can a small stream be born on the earth. And these small streams meet and join. And with this gathering, a river is born. And when the waters of many rivers all join together, an ocean becomes possible. And the source of the ocean is the drop of rain that falls from the sky. And each and every one of those drops has its own functioning. A small amount of water has its functioning and a large amount of water has its functioning. To be able to use the potential of any amount of water, be it large or small, this is our deep wisdom. <laughs>